Um, welcome to the Moringa School podcast. My name is Michelle and today we'd like to continue with our daily tech talks and everything that we can do to make our society better. So I'm joined today by a few of my friends. I'd like them to introduce themselves. Hi guys, my name is Melissa. Welcome again. Hi guys, it's Kevin. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, it's Victor again here. Welcome to the podcast. Hi guys, my name is Eugene. Uh, welcome to the Moringa podcast. Mm. So oh. Oh yeah, so um, Eugene is new here, so maybe we'd like to introduce him. Maybe he'd like to introduce himself and maybe tells us what he does. And yeah. So I'm a full stack developer, a graduate of Moringa School. I also studied uh, finance and project management, and uh, some of my interests are finance, economics, uh, geopolitics, a bit of history, yeah, and seeing how all of that fits in together and works together. Yeah. Ah yeah so I think today we have um a relevant guest um Eugene um regard um ooh. <laughs> my words fail me but um today we are going to talk about um this week um uh, a tech startup called Andela <laughs> was able to raise um 100 million dollars in VC funding and we just we just like to know what they did or what they are doing or what we can our what we ourselves can do to to also get such funding in order to maybe boost our projects boost our startups and maybe ways we can do better in order to be to create good products in our society so maybe maybe I'll open the floor to anyone who wants to start as to what they think about this andela funding anyone well, I, mean, I, I think it's good um I was reading somewhere that they plan to hire over a thousand developers this year. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that they're creating employment opportunities in Africa, where um, you know we have about maybe sixty percent of the youth who are unemployed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think it's a good step forward. What do you guys think? For me personally, I think the upside of it is giving an opportunity to Africans yeah. to work in to work at. Uh, global level standards and have access to to teams and ideas and technology used by uh, like global level tech companies so it actually widens the scope of the of locals in terms of using tech and applying that tech because it's one thing to know about tech and it's another thing to actually see how people are using it in different countries at a very advanced level so getting mm-hmm. access to that i think there'll be sort of trickle down effect in in our in our local spaces yeah, yeah so do you think that um andela being a startup um less than maybe 10 years in africa do we think that they are their business practices have made them um more more attractive to vc funds or what do you think has made them attract attractive to people who want to maybe fund such projects what do you think um i think as long as you're producing a quality product um it's not difficult to raise funding right so people in andela go through a very selective process um and then through that you go through like a four year contract for those who don't know a four year contract where you work remotely with american companies so i think the the timing and the selection process you end up churning out quality developers so i think by the time you're pitching to venture capitalists on why 
we should scale up as a startup, it's much easier to gain funding. So maybe as a point to entrepreneurs operating in Africa, you really have to ask yourself the question, what is your product? Is it solving a problem? In this case, um, there's a gap of software developers globally, right? So the fact that they're bridging that, I think, makes it easier um, mm. to raise funding. Is your product good? Are you solving a problem? Yeah. I also think to add on that, the aspect of quality and the pro- problem, I think the ethos behind your company will also influence your ability to raise funds and your ability to 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 resonate yeah. with other people. Like for example, for Andela, one of the main one of the main thing is to have distributed teams. And since the way in which people are working is evolving and will change over time, it will be mainly remote based. So I think that also influenced greatly the ability to get funding because like the the company that led the last the latest round of funding mainly focuses on investing in sustainable companies. And for them, the fact that Andela was contributing to remote work and distributed teams, it, may, it, mean, it meant that there will be less of an impact in terms of carbon emissions, in terms of traveling and commuting from work and whatnot. Mm. So to them, that it fit the criteria of, of uh, companies to invest in. So I think also knowing exactly uh, other, other, other than the financial aspect or the product aspect of your business, yeah. knowing like a grander purpose in which your, your, your business is contributing towards can also help you target or determine which from where you can get your funding. Because if you, you're more inclined to get funding from a source whose, whose funding decisions are driven by a certain philosophy that you, you fit in or that. Oh yeah, so you're, you're, what you're trying to say, what I've gotten from what you said is that um, venture capitalists themselves, they have portfolios mm-hmm. on who, which industry they are, they are particular to and what... The decision drivers that drive their investment. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay. So maybe um, what I can say, what I can ask towards that is maybe as a software developer who's maybe looking to freelance or starting their own business, mm-hmm. um, do you think that we are good entrepreneurs in ourselves in Africa or do we just create products that are not, they're just going to give us a bit of money and then they're not either solving problems or creating a better environment. Or do, we th- do you think that us as entrepreneurs in Africa are creating products that are going to help us in the long run? I think sometimes it's good to deconstruct what entrepreneurship is. Yeah. So if you look at um, entrepreneurship theory, you'll find that they're necessity-motivated entrepreneurs and they're opportunity-motivated entrepreneurs. Mm. So I feel like in Africa from what I've observed, is that a lot of people are entrepreneurs out of necessity, not because they've spotted an opportunity and they can gain funding for that. So you'll find that people are entrepreneurs, especially women, are entrepreneurs in order to feed their families, in order to just get by day by day, and not necessarily as a long-term plan or as a 20-year, 30-year, you know, sort of plan to scale or to um, generate lots of revenue, right? Mm-hmm. So, what are your thoughts on that? I love what Andela have done, just to bring it back to the topic we were talking about earlier. Um, I think it's a model that we can learn from, because they So, get... would you say that they are opportunity-motivated entrepreneurs? That, yeah. yeah, so it's not Andela necessarily, but at the same time, it's a necessity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, filling the gap 
um, of software developers. The fact that there's a lack of, I would argue, affordable software developers, maybe they're driven by both necessity and opportunity. But you see, the necessity is on a larger scale. You see, the, like the necessity for most uh, small business owners in mm-hmm. Africa and in Kenya in particular is just local needs, personal needs to feed your family, to, to pay the rent, you know, needs that are within. But the necessity for Andela was to actually fill a gap in the industry, which on the other hand, it can be seen as an opportunity. So I think you can simply say it's an opportunity-driven uh, entrepreneurship. They literally feel, there's, like for instance, I, I read an article once that there's, there's a shortage of 2 million software developers in the United States alone. Wow. That's the number of uh, software developers that can be added to that industry and it still remains sustainable without flooding. So you see, like the fact that Andela's found a, a way to fill that space in a very cheaper scale. Do you also, I also read somewhere, Melissa here shared an article where uh, the average compensation for a decent uh, software developer in the United States is somewhere between, uh, that's 150 to $400,000. Yeah. The same case in Kenya, for in Kenya, rather in Africa, uh, the average compensation for a decent software developer will be, you know, somewhere between six hundred to a thousand dollars at best. Yeah, best well case paid. scenario yeah. when you're really well paid. So you, if you look at that, you see that Andela really sort of nailed it in terms of finding opportunity and filling the market from both aspects in terms of uh, uh, supplying software developers and also at a much, much, much lower and uh, compensation wages in terms of wages. So I, I think like in terms of uh, of nailing entrepreneurship, they got it right. Yeah, yeah. they just do the basics really well. Yeah, they do the so basics well. So according to like a book I was reading recently, mm. we just need to do one of three things much better by several orders of magnitude. Mm. Mm. Do something better, do something faster, or do something cheaper. Yeah. So by dropping the price of a developer from maybe $4,000 a month, to around, let's say, yeah, around a thousand. So you completely wipe out the competition and the rates that they're offering. Mm. So I think just starting from getting the basics of entrepreneurship right is where we need to start. Mm. Mm. So Eugene, what do you think are some of the things we need to start doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you What do you think are some of the things we can start to do better so we can solve problems more effectively and raise this funding? Some of the things the business or an entrepreneur can do, yeah, yeah, to to, to raise funding effectively. Yeah, just to to start out, like like we were speaking about earlier, mm-hmm. just getting the basics of entrepreneurship right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what what do you guys think are some of the things we can we can begin to start doing, in addition to, um, like um, just waiting for venture capitalists to start discovering African companies. And African-run companies. What do you think we can do from the side of, like, entrepreneurs? What do you think we can start to do? Like, small steps we can take. I think the first step would be to learn the art of looking at the bigger picture. It's something that African uh, entrepreneurs really lack. We look at the uh, we look at we look at entrepreneurship in terms of how it's going to help me and mine. Mm-hmm. You know, but we don't think about how we can we can. Uh, partner with a friend and another one and another one and another one and share the share the load share the the responsibilities for this company uh, raise funding together and build one thing that's really really big I, I, we were talking about earlier and we, we came to the conclusion of culture 
where Africans really value ownership and we was we, we, we were discussing and asking like is it better to own ownership of a small company or part ownership of a very big one and I feel like Africans need to understand that owning part of something bigger at the end of the day is much better than owning everything of something small and once we understand that I feel like we will be able to change how we run businesses and you, you know if, if you partner with someone who has this amount of money this amount of money this amount of money and always almost always everyone has their own experiences you, you in, in the in, in um, apart from the benefit of funding you also get the benefit of uh what's the word i'm looking for akili intellect uh, intellect yes intellect expertise. and knowledge expertise. and the expertise yes those are the words that i was looking for okay so you realize uh, you'll find that if we can partner with other people and they bring their finances and expertise it will be much easier to grow a great uh, a great business that is an entrepreneurial business because you'll have so much money so much expertise so much connections in, in basically it will be so much of everything and in terms you can just grow a very very big company the aspect of networks it reminded me about how andela actually started they were there were two businesses so the nigerian zitabo adoyeji or something had a learning startup called fora and then there was this other guy with another startup in nigeria also so so they 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 came together to see how they had I think Fora had a problem and Adewiji approached this other founder to see if they could work together to solve something. Yeah. And the current, the guy called Jonathan, I don't know if he's the current CEO, so he, he was to come on just as a, as, a, as a founder but ended up being the CEO, actually as the current CEO. So I think it actually builds on what you're saying about having, creating networks mm. in that ecosystem. It will, you'll get expertise, you'll get access to, you'll, you'll, be, you'll get access to either capital mm. or uh other forms of advice that you need that you that would have been accessible to you or you wouldn't even have known about so i think that that that's okay. really important that, that actually i just thought of a, of a very critical thing that I've, i i i've seen this in other countries where there's a culture where vcs mm-hmm. actually don't wait for businesses to come to them mm-hmm. but they constantly monitor the businesses in the industry and sometimes they can spot two businesses that will work together and they motivate margin mm-hmm. yes. do you feel like um bringing up the culture of mergers in in africa would promote uh the will will motivate vcs to fund more Yeah, do you think it will work? It will be better, yes, mm. because actually it 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 increases efficiencies mm. and actually you have two two different teams mm. who, are, who are basically solving the same problem. Yeah. So it actually brings like double the brain power to directed towards a single problem. Yes. But I think a problem that could exist in Africa like you said the thing of owning something wanting to own everything yeah everything yes. of not of, of of something small and mm. thinking that you could actually do it on your own. Mm. So that is that is maybe a hurdle that the cultural aspect now that becomes a problem yeah i think um i can add a point onto that um there's this company it's called soul cycle i think you've heard of it so it started with two women and these two women they used to attend two different gyms mm-hmm. oh the same gym mm-hmm. but they had the same trainer mm-hmm. so these two women um they had spoken about an idea to start a a soul cycle mostly cycling basically so they had spoken to it about to the idea mm-hmm. about the soul cycle mm-hmm. gym mm-hmm. to their the trainer mm-hmm. this trainer brought them together and then they started just one shop they ended up 
the chain of the chain of everything so i think that merging is an aspect of maybe you finding your founder your ceo i think yeah i think that's a good aspect of mm. i don't Definitely. yeah so Definitely. basically constantly looking for businesses Do, i feel in africa especially in kenya we have a ridiculous number of duplicates you know yeah. there are so many so me many too. so many yeah, yeah. yeah me too yeah. <laughs> but if you can find a way to motivate these people to come together mm. then you can actually start building global companies mm. out of it yeah because yeah. i think if the goal is the same mm. we can do it if we can do it together it will be better than doing it alone yes yes yes, yes. yeah Definitely. so onto that point onto that point also um do you think that when a vc comes into now my startup mm. do you think that i should change my culture or they should change their culture of their way of mm. doing things or should there be a middle ground on where we can meet together and say okay this is what we are doing or who is supposed to change or who is not supposed to change actually think this brings up a topic of how to choose a vc Mm. or knowing which of you see to approach because it's also important because if you look only at the monetary aspect you might end up having a VC that doesn't really align your whose vision of the company and the vision of the company doesn't really align an example is like who's ever heard of Angan is it Angan or Angaga the Kenyan cloud company those they, they ended up being a falling out between the founders and the guys who came who came into the company as VCs It was so bad the CEO ended up being locked out of the company and his services were down for about two weeks they were sued the CEO and then the co-founder ended up leaving and started another company so i think you need to actually understand your the VCs you're bringing on board they are like what is their attitude when it yeah, comes what to what drives them yeah yeah exactly what drives them their philosophy what exactly they are the expected the exit plans how how most of their companies exit do, do, do they really push for a certain type of exit do they really like hands on management or, or or are they one of those types who like sit back and watch and give advice when needed i think that's also another aspect to consider and probably also instead of getting cash from the vcs maybe you could consider getting a convertible note because you give up less equity and what but so that's something maybe think people should consider yeah it's interesting that you should bring up like the issue of a cultural fit between vcs and entrepreneurs mm-hmm. um but then it brings up the question the people who we share the same culture with mm-hmm. let's say like um older kenyans with money mm-hmm. are they really thinking about investing in startups do you see like a different type of cultural difference there In, I think what I can add to that question is models that we can create so that um young people are integrated to the system because when you if you look at most VCs they are older guys mm. so and older guys are the ones who in quotes have money so how can we integrate maybe the older generation and the younger generation into maybe being the the sole the sole owners of this VC company like- We were talking about this earlier and we came to the conclusion that it would be really really nice if a group of young people with a very strong uh skill of communication and convincing people to check out money <laughs> can come together and find these old people with money uh, it feels odd to say old people with money <laughs> but to find this uh, the older generation of yeah. people that made the money that actually have the money in this country 
and convince them to actually give them the money and hold them accountable for it. Do you can't expect someone who has who has his whole empire built on real estate for instance you know they have land they have buildings they have hotels all solid assets tangible uh, assets that they own and they consider this their wealth you can expect someone like that to start funding uh, real estate but i feel it would be much easier to convince someone like that to actually give you money and hold you accountable and you now as a company work as vcs now you are young people you understand the tech space you understand how to analyze if a business is successful or not you can even run the the merging aspect of it and uh, monitor various businesses in the country and be like you know you company a company b i feel like if you come much if you come together mm-hmm. we can fund you and with both of your ideas you can build c a very big company mm-hmm. you know i feel like that would be a nice way to approach the pro- the problem of having vcs that understand the tech space yeah. yeah i think another thing i would like to add on to that is um sometimes it's difficult to sell roi to someone who's 70 mm. and might sort of retire or be senile or might pass on in 10 years or in 20 years mm. but you'll find the culture in africa is one of passing on wealth from generation to generation within the family. Mm. So you'll find that a 70-year-old, um, maybe someone who's acquired a lot of wealth over the years and is about to pass on, will pass on the wealth, the companies, the ownership to their son or to their daughter, to their, you know, mm. grandson or granddaughter or whatever. But I feel like where we're headed in terms of succession planning is instead of trying to convince that 70-year-old person their son will probably inherit or their daughter will probably inherit those companies and that wealth. Yeah. So as young people trying to maybe start up advisory um, services or consulting companies to advise people on how to manage their wealth or where to invest their wealth, maybe we should be having that conversation with our peers, yeah. right? The Because the, the current generation yeah. that will probably inherit mm-hmm. that type of, or that amount of wealth. Yeah. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, mm. I think that's the time the, is now. Mm. Yeah, that's the way to go. Yeah. Because I think that we are, we are the generation who's going to invest our wealth in tech. Mm. It's probably too late for the earlier generations. And do you guys think we can also do it organically just to have um tech money invested in tech? Because if you look at some of the largest venture capitalists, so even angel investors in it's a places like silicon valley mm-hmm. so these are the people who are building like um andreessen horowitz mm-hmm. so one of the founders mark andreessen was built one of the first successful browsers which was netscape and from then on um the ecosystem evolved around some of these individuals and the money that they invested do you guys think we need to wait not exactly wait but um cultivate the wealth within the tech ecosystem then reinvest it what do you guys think about that personally i think there needs to be like a jump off point whereby after a certain period of time where the ecosystem has grown and evolved and companies are starting to show like a health balance sheet they have like consistent uh, monthly re- revenues and what not so after that period of time after a number of after that number of number of years you'll get to a point where now there is enough wealth has already been derived from pre-existing tech companies so and since these people actually see the value in investing because they benefited from 
a tech as from a tech a tech company that was basically smaller so these are the people now who will drive that uh, investment like you said so i think there needs to be like a period within which there have to be growth and a lot of value creation and with that wealth creation and then from that point you can leverage that wealth now to invest in into 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 the smaller tech companies or the budding tech companies like is one of us said that you, you, i think it was you yeah you, we, we actually have to to generate enough wealth from the tech space so that people can actually see value and validity in investing in that tech space yeah. only now this time it will be led by people who have actually benefited from it on their own set then now other people like you say the banks and what not will follow yeah. so are you trying to say that me as a startup i have to make money in order to make more money let's say i have an idea mm-hmm. and i want to execute it but i have no money where should i go or what should i do in order to i don't know, generate money find a way to start an to to bring an mvp to market that's the only way you won't get funding without some sort of traction it will be especially in, in the local market in Kenya it is it is impossible and what do you think is more important is it um revenue or profit because you'll find billion dollar companies like Uber are still not making a profit right so w- what can me as Kenyan entrepreneurs try and do is it gain traction in terms of users or is it in terms of actual money revenue. and if it's money is it revenue or profit I think at the end of the day for every business has to go through the phase where they first of all need to derive revenue before they can actually gain profit mm. but that's that's actually a point where we need to start considering uh, as a VC do you do you do you really want to invest in a business that's only generating revenue which I actually really think they should do a business that has revenue more more probably than not they have users and I, I right now we know that users are the actual currency not even the profit itself so if you can manage to leverage a business that generating a lot of revenue mm-hmm. that means it has a, a lot of user base all that's left is fine tuning it to actually reduce on operation cost mm-hmm. and maximize on profit mm-hmm. so if you have a business like this it's easier to innovate rather than to actually start a new business altogether so you if you invest in a business that has revenue Chances are you generate profit eventually. You'll just tweak the management a little bit, not in management, the business model kidogo, yeah. and generate more revenue by reducing the operation cost. Like the way Uber is planning on introducing self-driving everything, right? Yeah, to eliminate drivers who <coughs> basically suck up all, all the all the all the money that that they could be making as profit. Yeah, so that's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, look in the, look to the future. You may start a business that not necessarily generating profit but it's offering value to the to the to the society and when you have value you just you generate this this is what we were using when we were discussing our company um authority mm-hmm. exactly with revenue comes authority with authority comes users and with users comes money mm-hmm. so you can start investing from the very beginning yes and just to add on to what you said about um startup companies trying to reduce costs mm. labor being one of them mm. just taking it back to um andela as an example of a company that um promotes remote work or remote work is basically its mvp mm. um you'll find that african developers are paid way less mm. than 
engineers in the States or in the UK or in other markets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, it brings me the question of if I am a developer and maybe I've left Andela, for example, and I want to start my own company, chances are my salary or my line of credit or my personal savings are way less than that developer in the States who worked for some company and made hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years. So I'd just like to ask you guys, what do you think about compensation when you're working for a startup? Mm -hmm. Compensation when you're a developer operating in the African space and also compensation if you're a developer who's found a solution to a problem but you don't have enough money because maybe your salary is hinged on your geographical location. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about that? I think it's a it's a tough topic to discuss. Is it? It is. In, <laughs> yeah. We should be discussing this tough topic. Ex- 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, let me just start by saying that mm. in any business, your key objective is to make profit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or at some point. Mm. So if I'm going to get developers who cost less, I'm going to do it every time. Mm. So. Um, Adjusting for just the quality of my product, as long as I can get a quality product, mm-hmm. I'm going to pay um, my people enough to keep them happy, which just so happens to be much less in Africa and the developing world mm-hmm. than in other places. Just to play devil's argument, at, what the, devil's <laughs> advocate, <laughs> um, there's, there's an argument I've, I've heard recently uh-huh. that the, the cost of living and the costs that developers in these other countries have to undertake, mm-hmm. put them al- almost on a, not exactly a level playing field, mm-hmm. but it translates. For example, if I went to Jaquat and I'm currently living in Roisamo, mm-hmm. I would have much lower costs than someone who went to say Berkeley, has hundreds of thousands of dollars in right. debt and is living in Seattle, like one of the three most expensive cities in the world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it makes you really think. It's not a good argument, but I'd love to hear like what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, I do believe uh, companies, they, they, um, they are leveraging in the fact that cost of living in Africa is low. I mean, at the end of the day, it's not like them paying a lower nini salaries over here, is, is, it, it's related to the income they're making. They're still making the same money. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could have afforded to pay $4,000 per year developers, 400000 But knowing that in Kenya, Paying someone two hundred thousand, for instance, at a, which is actually a very very high salary at the current mm. pay rates, which is not which should not be that way, but you know it's how we are paid. Cindy, mm. paying a developer here two hundred thousand, that developer will actually live a very comfortable life in Kenya. Yeah. The cost of living here is low, so in a way the devil's advocate thing again, you can feel like for them it's not wrong. It is wrong, but it's not due. At the end of the day, you're still providing an above standard living. But what I would, what I've observed, (laughs) what I've observed, um, especially on Twitter, Mm -hmm. is microaggression Mm -hmm. from developers. Mm -hmm. So there's one specific one called um, Ganga Chris, Chris Ganga. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he, yes, he's Kenyan, and I think he worked or is still working at Andela. Mm -hmm. But he recently posted this tweet where he said, when you appear in two out of four huge funding feature images, but you're still broke, (laughs) right? So I don't know how much Andela developers are paid, 
but I think you know it, it was funny for a minute, mm-hmm. and then it becomes very serious and a bit sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, in as much as you know, someone may say the cost of living in Africa is low. I think for me again, it begs the question that, what if I want to have a global career? What if I want to travel? Don't I deserve a better salary? Exactly. Mm. What if I want to attend tech conferences? If I'm only earning $400 a month gross and then a ticket to maybe the States to attend the Afrotech conference in November costs $900. And then I have rent and then I have to pay for travel and food and taxes. I mean, I think just, just in terms of dignified pay, would you say that we are paid in a dignified manner even no, though you're doing remote no, work even though you're working for a Kenyan startup or an African startup run by actual Africans like are we really compensated enough to to aspire to be better or to do more no not really yeah no i th- i think t- uh, the t- because in as much as you know you said you, you were talking about Raisambu mm. but maybe that developer in Raisambu aspires to work in Ghana to work mm. in Lagos or to you know, maybe go do their master's in another place. Can that salary afford them opportunity? No. Probably not. It will yeah. keep them grounded for a very long time. You, you, can't, you can't develop yourself on such a low salary. And then also, mm. what you are saying about, um, in as much as it puts us at the same level, if you live in an expensive city, mm. but you're being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, based on your salary, you get a for 1K compensation mm-hmm. sort of system. There's a system, a credit system, where you have actual access to a line of credit. I'm not sure we're afforded that same privilege here. Mm. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? Another thing, to get back to what Kim was saying, mm-hmm. I think compens- compensation should be based on, on the value you create, mm-hmm. not necessarily the... What is it? Uh, Thank cost you. of living, mm. cost of living, in, depending on a geographic location and whatnot, because the value you create for the company is still the same, regardless of where you're living. And if you have a certain level of skill that is able to generate a certain level of value for that company, you should be paid in parity to that, mm. or com- at, a, at, a, at, a, at a level that, com- that reflects that. So I think the argument of, let's say, this place has a higher cost of living and this place doesn't have a, a higher cost of living and whatnot, if we both bring the same value, I, I, I don't see there a reason why one party should be paid higher because just because uh, he, he or she lives in a place where where the cost of living is higher, they could move or they could uh, do, do, do something else. Yeah. And one thing I would like to add on to that, and this is very non-tech related, mm-hmm. but you'll find that especially in Kenya, um, there are a lot of experts who... Um, are brought in to work here or apply to work here and get the job offer and they're paid up to $15,000 a month, right? Mm. And maybe these are people from Zimbabwe or the United States. And on top of that, they're paid a hardship allowance. Mm. Now you'll find that people who work in the same companies earn maybe $400 a month. Mm -hmm. They live in the same city, but they're not paid that same sort of hardship compensation. So then, again, what do you guys think? What is hardship compensation? Hardship allowance, for example, if you work at an NGO and maybe you're based in Somalia or okay. Sudan or um, a country with a lot of conflict, mm-hmm. there's a hardship allowance. I don't know how to really deconstruct it. If, it's, if, you, if the social comfort is, exactly. is different. Very low in comparison to what you're used to. Mm. 
For instance, if you live in the UK and the social comfort there is like jumping on a train, yeah. travel is yeah. instant, and there's shops for everything everywhere. But you come to Kenya and it's different. You have to travel two hours in traffic to get to your workplace. Hardship allowance. Okay. I think that's really personally know someone whose boss gets paid like almost ten times. No, 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 not actually a boss. Someone whom they're on the same level, with, but the person is a foreigner. Hmm. They're paid ten times more than what they earn. Yeah, that is a question to the Kenyan government. Is there a law to this? <laughs> <laughs> is there a law to this? Okay. Uh, number Serikari. <laughs> I completely agree with what you guys say, but look at look at it from from this perspective. Yeah. Um, let's let's go away from tech. Let's look at a different field. Let's look at manufacturing, for example. So in maybe um, between the 50s after the end of World War Two. To maybe the 80s, mm-hmm. um, Americans were ruling manufacturing. Yeah. But as soon as you you discover that I can make uh, maybe a car for maybe like a hundred dollars cheaper mm-hmm. in China, like more and more companies started moving their manufacturing yeah. to places where the market allows you to spend less money. Mm-hmm. So it's it's it really is the same thing. Like the market dictates True. Um, yeah. the price more than like how we would want it to be in an ideal world i honestly believe everyone should be paid um for value, yeah. yeah for the value that you create mm. but if the market di- dictates that in developing countries you can get cheaper labor it's mm. going to and keep happening yeah so i don't know like just like we said earlier like we really want everyone to be paid just um yeah in accordance with the value you're creating so it's not only like an African thing. There's also like a gender divide in how much you pay. Um, I recently spoke to a friend of mine who, upon being offered a job as a data scientist at like a reputable company in <laughs> Kenya, had to take like a 40% drop in, yeah, 40% pay cut in her salary for a job that was being offered um, at like maybe $10,000 a month. So instead of like a massive raise she was expecting, she was being told to take a pay cut mm-hmm. because she's both local and I believe because she's a woman, mm-hmm. which sucks, but yeah. Actually, like you, the market is of course, you can't really. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I personally, I, I went through that same experience, obviously not in the same sort of level or qualification. But um, just as I finished Moringa, I got an offer to work for a startup. Um, but the startup offered, gave me an offer for an unpaid internship for three months. And so when I was asking them about compensation, they said that, oh, no, we only offer compensation or a stipend to foreign interns. But because you're a local, uh, it's a three-month unpaid internship. And so I think this whole foreign versus local... local yeah. Um, again, am I afforded that same privilege if I decide to go work in Ghana or in South Africa? Would I be paid? That, that's I think a question it's a government of its own. Problem. Yeah. Do you find that in developed countries, the government will favor local? Well, if you're local, you're the one who gets the privilege. But it's weird that in Kenya, exactly. if you're local, you're the one who has to bite the nail and let the foreigner roll yeah. in money. Like, yeah. Well, I, think, I, I think I can call this something, I can call it a talent bias. Really? They perceive that since you're from abroad, you have more you're talent and, and you are in... Let's be honest, their schools are much better. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they assume that you, you, you bring more value and your talents are much higher. And better quality. Much more efficient, yeah. mm-hmm. But 
how, how can you prove that? You can't prove that until... Does that speak about that our education wrong? system? Is it of poor quality? It's Are we not, not even that, because what about the diaspora, right? So for someone like me, I also studied abroad yeah. in really reputable <laughs> schools, but because my passport okay. is Kenyan, yeah. I lose out on some form of um, compensation, which I don't think is fair, because you do spend quite a lot studying abroad. And not to say that you're... Um, entitled to any form of better compensation as a local simply because you studied abroad. But if I, I, I don't think I would argue even in terms of the value of education because there are people in Kenya who've actually studied abroad and come back and they have more or less the same value or experience. So it's a no for me. It's a no for me. On that I think it's a talent. I think it's, it's just a talent bias. Yeah. Yeah. And then to, to add on what Kevin was saying, about the market determining the rates it's true mm-hmm. the market will always will actually will always determine the rates but i think a, a probable like effect in the long term of andela setting up in kenya since in africa actually the the people who leave the cohorts eventually in the long term these people once they leave andela and start working for some are being recruited by these companies mm-hmm. so are being paid actually uh US level wages mm. but are still here in Africa. Others actually freelance or just work remotely for other companies at the their rate. levels. Yeah. So I think eventually the outcome will be that the, the, the minimum wage rate for payable to devs will actually rise mm. as a residual effect. It will, it will be slow, it will take time. The same thing that's happening in China. The wage rate is keeping on increasing. It's getting to a point where it will, it will actually be just, as, just the same to, to, to employ people in the States as it is to employ people in China. So I think eventually it will get to a point where there will be a parity between them. It will, take, it will take a while, yes, but I actually think the effects of Andela setting up in, in Africa, since the skills that the people will, will get once they leave that place will be world standard. And once they proliferate the market and they, bec- they increase in number, especially as their recruitment drive increases, mm. so eventually I think they will actually push the the wage the, the minimum payable wage eventually because they demand more you either work for if you don't pay me well and and you're a local company why should I work for you and I can still earn the same from uh, 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 so I can I can earn a higher amount from a foreign company mm-hmm. and still work from home so and if you want the talent and you need to compete and I'm thinking that local companies eventually will need to compete at a global level you'll actually have to hire these people at yeah. their salaries they're demanding. So it will take time. And I think, as much as it's not been reflected now, in the long term, I think an effect of Andela is actually raising, raising the minimum payable wage for developers in Africa. So in the same context of um, discrimination, um, who gets what, um, who do you, in the, in the context of now VC capital, capitalists, who do you think decides on this startup getting this amount of money and basically who makes a decision on who gets funding? I think it depends on, on the depends, structure yeah, of the company. Of the, of, the, yeah. of, the, of the VC. It depends on, on, who, on, on actually who, manage, who makes the decision, how they decide to, to, to invest in that particular company. Depending, maybe they invest in X or Z sectors. And maybe for sector X, they normally they're ready to commit a certain amount for sector Z. It depends. Maybe in each series of funding, they participate at different levels. So I think it depends on. 
Uh, Melissa, you had a point on um, VCs in particular communities, let's say like a Latina community. Could you expound on that on how maybe our numbers differ, maybe a black startup can startups can differ from maybe white startups or yeah. how they get... Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's the famous phrase that as a black person or as a person of color, you have to work twice as hard just to get half. So you'll find that there's a statistic that for every dollar um, a white entrepreneur raises, uh, a black entrepreneur raises 26 cents. Mm. So, I mean, and you can only imagine what the statistic is for maybe black women or other women of color or people with disabilities who aspire to be entrepreneurial. So there's definitely... um, I guess, silent discrimination or institutional racism that takes place when people are seeking funding. And ultimately, you know, people invest in people. People really invest in ideas. So I think the question to ask is how can we position um, ourselves as people who aspire to be entrepreneurs to position ourselves to actually gain funding from different sources? It's pretty clear that the, the models that for funding that are um, available to us right now are not perfect. So we need to maybe keep innovating around that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a couple of ideas that seemed ridiculous to me at first. So I want to just hear you guys, your, your thoughts on this. <laughs> so um, by the end of 2019, mm-hmm. I think Andela already has like a thousand developers on their campus. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we, we recently found out that they're looking to hire maybe a thousand more this year. So if there are 2,000 devs at Andela right now, mm-hmm. you think they could start like an Andela charmer and maybe raise, yeah, like startup funding and, st- and stuff like that from people from the ecosystem who understand how um, startup funding works in Kenya. So just like your quick thoughts on that. Like a sort of um, think tank. No, not not for ideas. Right. Um, like a charmer. What if um, like people at Andela... The list for... for- Something, something close to angel, something close to angel list. Not exactly. Mm-hmm. Like for example, at, at Safaricom, mm-hmm. they have a number of, of groups where you you can like all contribute your money, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the the Safaricom one, I think, is like a land buying company. Ah, okay. So employees of the of the company form like an independent like an investment entity. company. Yeah, like an investment group. Uh-huh. So if we have a community of techies at uh-huh. numbers in the thousands. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like they would be like one of the um, more powerful groups mm-hmm. in terms of dictating how much money could be raised by Kenyan startups. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so if the guys listening at Andela, if you, listen, <laughs> if you need a CEO, just holler at me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So yeah, just just your quick thoughts on something. Yeah, maybe like that. to your point, maybe we can see alternative sources of funding. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, just so, so just quick thoughts on like actually think first one. that that falls in line with the aspect of networking mm-hmm. because if you have like it, it will be a way instead of the way normal VCs raise funds they, mm-hmm. they solicit funds from high net worth individuals then they pull the funds then they they create a fund and they manage the fund so I think it will be a way of getting funds from at a more localized level or let how do you call it as in more accessible because Contextual. exactly mm-hmm. because you see the average person even if they were let's say they were VCs in Kenya the average person doesn't have access to to these funds even if you have the money let's say you had let's say you had even let's say you're in the states you're a guy you've made it you have two million dollars or whatnot but just a normal person 
you have the money you have this money yes but even if you wanted to invest in a vc or to invest in a startup you don't have the right network you don't have the right channels yeah, exactly so i think that could work in a similar way just that the amounts will be smaller but these are guys pulling the funds together towards a unified purpose so they create a fund or various funds targeting various things then they manage it i think the main challenge will be like having a clear roadmap on what the the vision of of the fund will be or the entity mm. will be where exactly to invest in the philosophy guiding it the models they're using for investment and things like that yeah, yeah. but i think something that, that's a good idea it's something yeah. something that that could work yeah so melissa any thoughts um what do you guys think of crowdfunding campaigns do you think that's a a good fast step to finding an alternative source of income besides banks because as you said banks only give you funding or loans if you have hard assets as a startup you rarely afforded that same privilege so what do you guys think of crowdfunding do you know of any successful crowdfunding campaigns that have taken place in Africa or in Kenya specifically um none <laughs> <laughs> just just in terms of platforms uh-huh. before we we go into the campaigns uh-huh. um apart from mchanga is there really mm, any other i mean there's uh, gofundme and then there's kickstarter but you'll find that a lot of these crowdfunding platforms specifically in africa are usually to raise money for water or sanitation mm. more altruistic um humanitarian causes activities and not necessarily someone who's just come up with a product or a service in the tech space that could change people's lives or you know mm. so i think yeah maybe that's something to consider that's crowdfunding that's platform actually if you use crowdfunding you can get to, it's a way to validate your idea mm. to see if people actually <coughs> find value in it or what not and that's it's actually a way to get good feedback because if someone doesn't let's say uh contribute cash let's say if you are rolling out products on a, on a pre-order basis so if they don't give the cash and you have a way to get feedback from them you can actually get feedback from them yeah mm-hmm. but I, locally i don't think there is any company that has done a successful crowdfunding does does our government do any funding for tech companies uh, or the normal youth funds but you know how those goes mm. oh the normal youth funds but okay. actually if you're speaking of the government mm. there's something <coughs> there's a your friend mumbi there's a, there's there's a question she had posed one day on I think it was whatsapp or my instagram what what measures can what initiatives can be done to make uh, like the startup environment or the startup ecosystem in in, in Kenya much more amenable to startups another thing i think i think is the aspect of regulation maybe there could be a regulatory sandbox whereby the things like uh, registration taxation are made easier for startups exactly because i've gone through that process and it is it is hectic mm-hmm. it is tedious so and i think if you if you have an environment where uh, like young businesses because most of the founders of these businesses are also young polua straight from school don't have the knowledge on how to navigate any the regulatory framework and probably would rather spend any funds if they have any towards the business rather than spending it on lawyers so i think it will make the process way easier and actually much more enticing if you have let's say an easier system whereby startups let's say younger between under a certain number of years or below a certain um, 
revenue threshold having like seamless registration and let's even exempt from tax because honestly you can't tax a startup yeah 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 so i think it will be and and actually think it could make kenya much a much more attractive destination to actually create a startup mm-hmm. and actually then build support systems around that that could be a starting point i think that you should look at the charges for starting a business mm-hmm. in kenya yeah, right now you hard. will be mad <laughs> you will be very mad it's very it's very tedious yeah, yeah. And also also in terms of because i know sometimes when you speak about money we speak about when you speak about funding we speak about money but funding or investment can also be in terms of social capital so maybe as a question to you guys um what spaces in nairobi specifically do you think are providing a sort of ecosystem where entrepreneurs or developers can meet up and just bounce ideas off each other i really like nairobi garage I love the space. I love the people, the community. I mean, I think it's just a very healthy um space to just nurture your idea yeah. and then also be productive at the same time. Yeah. Do you think that has any importance? Do you do you feel like for example, a lot of these co-working spaces um are expensive or are they affordable in your opinion? Should governments for example subsidize um I guess the cost of working in a sort of space what what are your thoughts on co-working spaces and social spaces for developers to brainstorm and to just i guess expand their networks i really love what they are doing at the Nairobi garage and yeah. similar spaces like like the ihub which was mm-hmm. um like one of the pioneers in in kenya mm-hmm. um what would be maybe like if i was really neat speaking like they're not really as close to the developer communities as as they need to be mm-hmm. um so maybe like some of the organizations in silicon valley and why they had like such high growth was catalyzed by like their proximity to maybe let's say stanford berkeley mm-hmm. and all these places mm-hmm. um maybe um it skipped my my mind uh, maybe I just haven't seen it but i've never seen any of these um communities organize events maybe with the schools and stuff like that mm-hmm. there's more cooperation now between um the hubs and maybe let's say like strathmore mm-hmm. but there are thousands of developers let's say maybe in like maybe the university of nairobi mm-hmm. or even jomo kenyatta which um could help catalyze the growth of, of these communities mm-hmm. so if if they just um they all hold up on gong road yeah mm-hmm. and and environs But is that is that a pointer to the the schools or to the co-working spaces? I think because I, are the schools really open to um collaborating with outsiders? Should it be upon the schools or the public universities or private ones? Um because the private ones may be money motivated, it would be a point of what I'm does this, this institution have to gain from this? And then the public ones maybe there's a lot of bureaucracy. that doesn't really foster innovation or partnerships or is it upon you know I have Nairobi garage Nilab to actually go and seek out different students um from those universities what do you what do you guys think about personally I think for for when it, when it comes to that for the schools I think a school like an example take Strathmore I think it has done a, a really good job of making it creates a space whereby guys can make and break stuff you build you try you test you try again with all those innovation hubs there either ibs ABA, yeah. ABA, we have exactly. web hive yeah there is uh, ib 
IBM is liquid liquid telecom there are a lot of spaces there so i think to get since most of the campuses the universities in Kenya are public i think it would be an initiative now probably also of the government to make sure that this it it, it encourages that aspect of like inquisitive research and playing around with things and breaking things and making things and like trying being more the problem with Kenyan education it's more theoretical and and less practical, less practical. Yeah. so if it, if it, if it actually centered on actually tackling real challenges and problems i think it will actually make it much more conducive because i think you go to if in places like stanford and what most some you find that guys are building projects that were part of like they are that that they needed to graduate then you find that this go on and translate to to businesses and mm-hmm. what or like mm-hmm. how the google guys met it started off as a research project and then it evolved into into a business so also think that there's also normally that aspect of cultivating an environment of research and actually learning learning for the sake of finding out new 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 things or growing knowledge is actually not and uh, like nurtured and fostered in Kenya it's mainly of get your paper and go find a job mm. but there isn't that that actually real inquisitiveness of of trying to come up with new things and innovating new things so i think if that were to happen or if there were spaces where people could do that it could be it, it could be because it it also doesn't have to be government works law mm-hmm. so if people who are part key players in the ecosystem come together and say okay so we can do this this and this let's say we need a space to do exercise or people can come bounce off ideas bounce ideas off each other so it's like a melting pot of ideas and what not so we find that and there's the space there's the talent and there's the equipment that they need to do that i think it will it will, it will be a starting point where people can you know train new things and match our skills and ideas yeah just to to add on to what you're saying mm-hmm. in response to melissa's question mm-hmm. um yeah you're completely right the public universities are more bureaucratic mm-hmm. and um you just find like the whole culture of the academic institution is um just to show authority like i am higher than you we yeah we once tried to to organize an event where we had um entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and a couple of um just professionals mm-hmm. so we're trying to compare um being hired as a professional to mm-hmm. being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and actually the day before um the event happened like one of the people in the hierarchy of the school just decided that this is not going to happen so it's yeah Seriously? It's, yeah so i had to call all this um like the high level employees at google and facebook and sound like an idiot so yeah it's it's an issue to do with the schools but i've never felt that government and um and its structures um like a firm force behind enterprise like on a, on a high level maybe let's say like what the the kibaki government did with um landing the fiber optic cables in Kenya mm-hmm. on a high level like you can depend on the government yeah. but in terms of like really engaging with people i think the grassroots like, yeah, yeah the 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 people within the ecosystem like the developers and people like that and also in partnerships with the hubs mm-hmm. need to like create more spaces for for like the people who are just coming up to to speak and talk about their their ideas 
So um yeah like in connection with what I was saying earlier about like alternative sources of funding. So another idiotic idea I came up with is like um amnesty for people who um invest stolen public funds in startup. So like a fund where 100% of the funds that you've stolen still belong to you <laughs> if you invest it in a startup. So it's no. a link. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get motivated to theft. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, okay. if someone is investing... He hasn't finished his yeah. point. <laughs> if you invest in a startup, wow. yeah. that startup is going to make profit. And mm-hmm. you as an investor, obviously, are entitled to it. It's sort of giving thuggeries uh, in, in, in the... In the, in the <laughs> In the, in the, in the uh, <laughs> government, yeah. it's giving them all to clean the money. Yeah. Yeah. Money. Okay. Yes. money. It's, it's money laundering. I, I, yeah. I completely get your aversion to, yeah. to all of this. However. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I first thought of it, I was like, Kevin, that's really dark. Yeah. But, but think about it this way. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they're already no, stealing no, it. All, all, money is, all money is tainted, yeah, in, yeah. in some way. And it's already happening on such a large scale, on a massive scale in Africa. It's just that there's no way to track it. But if you actually quantified all the money lost in Africa through like embezzling of public funds that's being invested in, in like um, ridiculous ways, if they can honestly buy like wheelbarrows at a thousand dollars each, yeah? Like how far really away from um, letting like just letting them invest in legitimate businesses. Um, yeah, it creates a precedent where it's like, go steal. But look, they're already stealing so much of it, it's ridiculous. So um, I was looking at this hashtag on Saturday. Mm-hmm. It was just these governors. Actually, these governors. <laughs> yeah. So with these governors, it, um, it turns out that a lot of, just not just governors, but um, let's say public officials in county governments. Um, there was one county where yeah. like, a young governor employed like 250 young women mm-hmm. just so he can ogle and look at them. Honestly, guys, like so much of this money is already being used in ridiculous ways. So I feel like this would be one way which, in which we can recover some of this money. Like the systems are already broken. This is just like a way to put like cello tape on a that's broken bucket, yeah. But I think that's Bruh, not... we're trying to not steal that's in not the first place. That, so. that, that, that would be counterintuitive when it yeah. comes out to solving the problem. Okay. Let, let me try Treating it. Let, let, let me try this one more time. Uh-huh. If, if, you guys, <laughs> no. if you guys still don't see it... Uh-huh. Um, yeah, first of I'll, all, I'll it's starting at the point yeah. of it stolen money. It can work. It can work if you can find a way to completely patch corruption on the other end. At the end of the day, it's just... Okay, you've already stolen the money. Just Sta- that's the starting. But point. you see, the problem is with the way the system is right now, they can still steal some more. Mm-hmm. So if they can steal some more and they have a way to clean it, then they just keep stealing. Yes. And cleaning. So unless you're fixing, <laughs> you're, you're fixing it from one end, then giving amnesty to these guys to come in and invest their cash. But my question is, is that sustainable? It's not. It's not. Okay. It's um, not. Let, me, let me let me let me try it one last time. No. Um. Don't don't quote me on this. But um, look at what happened with, um, let's say, cocaine money mm-hmm. in Miami in between the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So apparently from the documentaries I've watched, it was a dead town. Mm-hmm. Like there was really nothing there. There were just a couple of, um, you know, like some retirees 
who were just going there to like lay in the sun and wait for the sweet embrace of death. Mm-hmm. So after like the cocaine boom, where like 80% of the cocaine that was coming into the country mm-hmm. was all coming in through Miami. Mm-hmm. They built around 360 banks in the state and like built lots of real estate mm-hmm. that to this day has built an economy that is um many times the magnitude larger than the country that's Kenya. So yeah, in that case it worked and it was dirty money. So I don't know what um I you know, may, yeah. If I may chime in, yeah. uh, sorry guys, uh, Leo. Late as usual. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if I may chime in, no? so you're right about Miami, but the thing is, huh, you are you are missing the um, the mentality that goes behind for corruption. So this guy comes in and steals money. that's quick money that is not worked for he that mentality does not invest the money so he won't invest in a startup that's why even in miami the things you're talking about is the the real estate which they needed to spend houses and the luxury market came in and banks because they needed to bank the money in other words things that went around the drug trade right so things that go around corruption is just foreign banks because they've stolen the money they know it's illegal they want to stash it away so they're not going to invest how would approach it is if you're caught in corruption your assets are frozen and that money becomes government property and government then diverse diverts say 60 70% to young people because if you're stealing in corruption you're actually robbing the youth you're mm-hmm. robbing their future. So then if you're caught in corruption and you're found guilty, your assets are frozen, the proceeds of corruptions are are, are seized by the government and 60% of it and 60% of it is directed towards the towards startups and youth-owned enterprises and uh, female-owned enterprises and stuff like that and then 40% maybe geared towards uh, you know development and government expenditure and stuff like that that i think would work but to say that the person who steals by his own volition can gain in amnesty by that's is him admitting he's corrupt in the first place he's not going to do that he's a politician he wants to be reelected so what he's going to do is hide the money try as much as possible to make it not known and he's not going to spend it anywhere yeah yeah it's um Yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, <laughs> it's, it sounds it sounds much better than yeah. than what I was was suggesting. Yeah. The oh, yeah. the problem that I would see with this is mm-hmm. um, that sounds like the initial pool of tax that you already had, and the problem was like people stole the tax. Yeah. So what's going to stop them from stealing again yeah. when it's found on this other end? Yeah. You understand? So yeah if if you're listening and you have a suitcase full of money under your bed right now um just reach out I'll show you what you can do with it and it also brings me to the point of this whole play Kenyan music because you'll find investment it's not just not going to startups it's also not happening in the creative sector so i think there's a bigger sort of systemic underlying issue that's taking place and i recently had this conversation with a Kenyan musician he's a rapper actually and he was saying that the thing about you know why bongo music which is tanzanian it's a tanzanian genre is booming so much is because of the drug trade so you'll find that the drug dealers in that sector that according to him 
not according to me. Mm-hmm. According to him, the drug dealers are the ones funding um, artists. Artists, mm-hmm. but the music is so good. <laughs> like everything. I mean, there's so many great Tanzanian artists doing great music, great music videos, great tours, and they're actually sustaining a livelihood. So it's just. I mean, are we really going to get to a point where we need? dirty money. I don't think so. I don't think that has to be the source of funding. You know, what do you think, Leo? Yeah, okay. You, the Tanzanian in the house. The way you put it, you know, <laughs> we, we, we need dirty money. It's actually, you're right. We don't, we don't need dirty money. But here's how I put it. Drug money is dirty money. Mm. Corrupt money is clean money misappropriated. There's a difference. I don't think corrupt money is dirty money. In this way, let me put it this way. So, mm-hmm. if I come and steal from you, okay, and you recover what I've stolen, and you tell me, you know what, you've stolen from me, it's been years, right now there's nothing, say I steal a car, or a school bag, that's a school bag, you like, right now I have nothing used for it, what you've stolen from me, I am giving it to my son who's going to school. It's not dirty school bag, it's something I've stolen from you. Money stole, taken through corrupt means is funds stolen from us and most of the time they are robbing the youth and they're robbing the young Mm -hmm. so when we say we take that money which you've stolen we bring it back and recover stolen goods and appropriate it to the people you're actually robbing it's not dirty money but yes the as far as the music industry in tanzania and drug money goes i i think that's in the current market that's not so because with the our amazing president, uh, Magufuli, drug, drug activity has reduced extremely. My goodness, that guy is working. We have a really brilliant president, and he's made drug activities almost nil. So I think that uh, that maybe could have been the case previously. I wouldn't know. But right now, I think maybe they used it to leverage, and now they make good music, so they don't need it anymore. But I don't think right now drug money plays a big role in, in the Tanzanian music scene. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you guys think about the play Kenyan music um, sort of hashtag? I, I, because, I, yeah, yeah, again, just yeah. to bring back the point of it's not just about funding yeah. tech startups, yeah. it's funding any sort of Kenyan innovative sector. Yeah. And creativity and innovation go I, hand in hand. I, 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 I tend to disagree with play Tanzanian music or play any music to disagree with it because the world has become so small that you just need to play good music. music. If I create an application that allows your information to be stolen, you are not going to use it because I'm an African and you're an African. You need an application that factors in your information and the security of your information for you to be able to interact with my application. So if you make something good, in the world of today, it's starting to become rarer and rarer that, let's look at M-Pesa, we always use it. If you make a good application, it doesn't matter. If you sing good songs, I have seen, there's a song by Sauti Soul. I have seen people commented, the one where he, they sang with a, with a choir of a certain school. Kuliko Jana. Yes, Kuliko Jana. I have seen people, I have not, I'm, I'm actually in UK, I don't know what they're saying, but my yeah, goodness is song. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. It was good, it, 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 it transcends language, it transcends barrier. If it's good, it's good. So instead of saying we play Kenyan music, why don't we say... Play good music. Play good music. But do you think that sweeps talent 
under the rug, especially the people who get to be heard. Because just by virtue of the fact that you've mentioned Saudi Soul and not any other Kenyan, I mean, I feel like they are, at least in this debate and this discussion, the sort of gatekeepers mm-hmm. of yeah. the music industry. And they're getting a lot of slack for mm-hmm. not sort of holding the hand of other Kenyan artists the same way Diamond is mm-hmm. in Tanzania. You know, he's been able to sort of nurture Isidre Vani or Navy, Kenzo or whomever. It's yeah. just, but, but do you feel like we... Are for, it, it's the same thing about social capital, whether you're in tech, whether you're in creativity. If you're in the tech space and you're not attending meetups, for example, you're not meeting other entrepreneurs who've been there for like 20 years and someone who just left uni a year ago and you're not trying to foster that collaboration, I think it applies also in creativity. If you're Saudi Soul or Nyashinsky or whomever and you're not trying to sort of nurture the talent or mentor, an upcoming artist will keep having the same problems even in the health sector, in the automotive sector, in every other sector. So I don't know. I think it's it's very tricky. I also think there's a... a, You see, when you make it in a certain way, you kind of become a prisoner of of your... your, No, no, not success, of your path. So if you look at, for example, South Soul, they weren't unheld. They came from nowhere, did a song at Java, is it Nikupeleke Java, it kind of hit, they built from there. If you look again at um, Nyashinsky, they came as kleptomaniacs, as if they even had beef with the bamboo, there's a time yeah. like they rap like him, and so he started calling them, you know, you know, Nyashinsky boo, you know, Kolobu, you know, they had that beef. Nyash went to states, people, he, he battled rumors, people were saying he's taking drugs, then he came back and he still removed, so you become a... Uh, uh, prison of your path, right? Now, if you look, for example, in the Tanzanian scene, in the Tanzanian scene, most people got there through the shoulders of others. It wasn't really, it wasn't really, uh, you know, you do it with your own grit. Most people were, were carried. That's why you find Diamond carries people because he himself was given a lot of, you know, leeway by other people. So, but you, I would argue that Saudi Soul, for example, a lot of people argue, not just myself, but good management yes. has also also plays a part in getting them to where they are. Of course, talent is a fundamental, it's a basic. You need to be talented. You need to have good music. But just again, just drawing parallels between good management in music and venture capitalists in tech... That's that sort of handholding. Yeah, yeah. Maybe is what we all need. Yeah. The thing about the Kenyan play Kenyan music hashtag. Um, I think the context behind it was that Kenyan DJs, Kenyan radio guys, they are they are not playing good Kenyan music. Like there's this um, I think his name is Christian Della. Um, using that hashtag, he just displayed like a whole list of bad Kenyan music. Joe Mushiri on the other side, he listed ten good Kenyan music. As in. Good Kenyan music can be played, but not at the expense of, you know, at, you go to a club on a good night, 100% of the show is Nigerian music. Where is the Kenyan music? That is the context that Kenyan artists were saying. DJs, the people who are supposed to handhold these people, the DJs, the radio presenters, the record labels, that there's no support. And also us in the IT, IT industry, in ourselves, um, like um, a few episodes back, Melissa was saying we go into these events where like Cox Studio Africa and also an app like Spotify wouldn't have happened because of just us developers creating it. 
it had to have, have the artists. It had to have those all those people who are putting it, this content inside. So what I'm trying to say is that every Kenyan product, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I know what you're trying to say. But in the Kenyan context, like, let's handhold each other. If you're a Kenyan and you produce good content, not at a, those things that Christian Andela was putting on, on, on his page, get good Kenyan content, push it to the world. Either way, good things will... Will sell will, themselves. Yeah, exactly. Will sell themselves. I agree 100% with you, but there's one problem. But, but <laughs> one problem mm. where I, I take a step further. I'm a Pan Africanist. Yeah. And the reason being is that these lines were drawn and I inherited them from people who aren't mine. Mm. The reason you're Kenyan and I'm Tanzanian has nothing to do with our ancestors, has everything to do with our oppressor. That's the reason I'm Pan Africanist. That's the reason I have no problem with Nigerian music playing or Kenyan music. Or Listen, I have no problem with Kenyan, um, Nigerian music, but let us also put the Kenyan in that, yes. in that context. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So in other words, I agree with you 100%. Play good music. music. Play good Kenyan yeah. music. Yeah. Don't be biased towards exactly. a certain region in Africa. Exactly. In other words, don't be tribal within Africa. We are actually really just one people with lines that were drawn. That's why you find, for example, my tribe is in Malawi and Tanzania. There's no way we decided to do that on our own. It is somebody who drew a line and didn't consider us. The Maasai are in Kenya, Tanzania. They didn't, they, you know, you, you have a cousin and you need a visa to visit them and you can see their houses right there. Why? You know, you need a passport to visit because people drew lines. So uh, also we should start thinking more Pan-Africanist. And just in the line of, okay, so in order to get funding yeah. or to get support, whether that's financial yeah. support or support from the masses, or even to gain critical mass, if ultimately it, if, if ultimately you need to actually create a good product, maybe we can deconstruct what good is. What's a good product to you? I feel like a good product to me is something that's customized to my needs, mm-hmm. something that makes, again, as you were saying, good fast or cheap yes. so maybe we can all just yes what's good to you yeah. something that uh, adds value in the sense I can use every day mm. hmm. makes things very efficient and seamless uh, makes things easier mm. affordable like you've said what else mm-hmm. yeah yeah that so you guys um I think I'm, I'm a bit slow on this question. As no, opposed to at least your own understanding an of example, what Okay, you can give an example of maybe an app that you've been using of late or a website that you've come across that you feel is good like, um, for you. Are we talking strictly software experiences or just anything, any product in good. general? Any product. Anything good. Uh, so for me, what I'd consider good is anything that offers convenience for starters, value, but I would not necessarily put the cheap aspect in it because you also need to understand that good is almost never cheap. Quality. Yeah, so quality, yeah, I can't, I can't, consider, I can't put uh, the price aspect of what I consider to be quality. More often than not, if you, if you compromise on price, quality goes as well. So okay. just offer convenience and value, I consider good. Me, uh, say good would be something that answers a question or brings a solution better than the rest in whatever field. 
in whatever venture. So let me put it in the context of artists. If I am feeling low and you produce a song that ups my spirits, when I listen to it, I feel good. If I need introspective and it's a song that has a deep meaning, if it's an application I am using, I need to communicate with somebody, I can do it well. It answers my need. What I need to do, so I will use the tool that does that best. So relevance. Yeah. Ah, my G, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think to me, good comes with the level of familiarity almost. Um, I need to be able to understand what I'm using quickly without having to like do research and stuff like that. Um, I don't know how else to explain it, but it just need, it just needs to be snappy, yeah? Like I can quickly latch on to... Simplicity. Exactly. So simplicity, yeah. For me, I'd say maybe accessibility. Um, f- for my example, I'd use Uber. If I want a taxi at this moment, I can just request for it. Maybe accessibility for me. And all those other points that everyone has said. <laughs> so, um, I, I tend to think that as a natural response, somebody will go with what is familiar till they meet what something that convinces them to break all barriers. So either it is such an amazing application to this person that they throw all natural instincts out the window, but in terms of if it's good enough or just good, yes, people will naturally go with, you know, familiar familiar faces. But in terms of venture capitalists in Africa, I think we have the money and the capacity to finance ourselves. And this is what I mean, okay? If you look at the industrial age in uh, the West, they didn't have many venture capitalists. Many aristocrats didn't even finance it. They just had an idea and sold it to the masses. We have over 70% of our population as young people. We have over a billion people projected to reach two billion people. By 2050, I think, the East African population in the EAC is projected to be 500 million people. That's the population of Europe right now. In other words, what I'm trying to say is we do not need venture capitalists. We need mass market ideas. Ideas that appeal to many people and leverage our population and leverage things like data. We can sell data, data science, and stuff like that. So leverage usability, our user base, the fact that we're many. Kinda use the China way. They never really got financing, they just leverage their people. So when you leverage, uh, and you bring in something called economies of scale. So you don't need to charge, for example, 7,000 per bag of cement, because you're selling many of them, you can just have a small profit margin and it's cheaper and it's mass marketed. So I think if we look at it in terms of producing applications that are geared towards the strong suits of us as Africans, we'll rely less on venture venture capitalists at the beginning, and by the time they'll come in as investors, we'll already have a certain base that they cannot ignore us. So people will put money where money is growing. So if we can leverage that to grow in the beginning, we won't need them. when When we need them, if we want to maybe scale globally, we'll have enough 
enough money, enough uh, cash flows to show and justify the fact that when you put here, you make your money and it doesn't matter whether I'm white or black, you'll put your money where it will grow. Amen. So thank you guys for listening. Um, this has been a really nice episode. I hope you've learned as much as I have. And if you have any questions or any ideas that you'd like to share with us, um, we have an email in your social media so that if anyone wants to reach out to you, maybe they can get to you. Mine is at on Twitter. My name is um, Michelle at, underscore Atieno, M-I-C-H-E-L underscore Atieno, if anyone wants to reach out. Um, just search Kevin Ahere on all platforms, especially the Andela people with whom we started the, <laughs> the charmer. Just reach out at Kevin Ahere. At Gani Leo on Twitter. Not 12, so I don't have an Instagram. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Vicky underscore Irere, double K on the Vicky. Without a Y. V-I double K-I underscore Irere. Uh, for me on Twitter, it's Ubermensch Z. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> we leave that in the caption. <laughs> and on that bombshell. That's a place to end. Next week. Thank you, thank you, Eugene, for coming in as a guest. We hope to have you as a regular contributor. Can I come next week? For yeah. sure, for sure, this definitely, definitely. For sure. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Um,